Regina, can you can you share with me what you what you first hear um, or think about when you hear the term ethical storytelling? Well, I don't really know what that means, to be honest with you. Um, like, what does that mean? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like something really viable, but like, what does it mean in terms of what people are trying to do? Like, what's the intent behind that? And aren't we, are we not creative enough to drive a story or to drive an issue without having people having to go back into the stories and tell them for the world? Like, I do think that getting things on the record is valuable. I think if you look at the slave narratives, that they are very valuable for us to read, like, you know, decades um, later, generations later. But, like, I wonder how valuable telling people story, stories are now um, in the context in which, you know, under the glare of social media, under the glare of media, under TV, under just, you know, the, the landscape is different. And so I'm just wondering if there aren't other things that we could use to drive the issue and to bring about awareness hmm. and some kind of impact. Yeah. I think you've, as, uh, as somebody that has run a nonprofit, I think I, I have often referenced storytelling um, as currency for a nonprofit in a lot of ways, because I think it's story that might bring, you know, an issue all the way um, from Thailand or a narrative all the way from Thailand um, to the forefront of somebody who's looking to invest in social change. And mm -hmm. so I think that there's there's power, right, in story, but there's also uh, kind of to your point about um, what does ethical storytelling mean and why is it something that we need? Um, and so can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what do you mean but, when you I'm, say why is it something that yeah. we need? Yeah, like literally, are we not creative enough to create some other avenues to bring about awareness? Mm -hmm. So that would be my question. Are we not creative enough to do that? Like, why are we stuck on that? Mm. Why is that the thing that um, nonprofits require or need um, NGOs or whatever? Why? Like, why do we need that? Yeah, or even why is it that so, we're still sticking to the same model of it instead of reinventing it? Or just why do we need it at all? Hmm. Like, why do we need pe um, people's personal stories? Hmm. I think, I think, like, I mean, because, you know, I'm a theater type, I'm a creative type. And so I'm wondering, are there not other ways? Like, hmm. we did a thing the other night, we did a ritual um, at the closing of what is called, what was called Black Women Dreaming. And so we did a ritual. Uh, we sang, I spoke, I kid you not, the res I've been an abolitionist for 10 years. The response to what we did creatively to raise awareness, mm. which was not storytelling, was more than I have ever seen in the 10 years that I have been an, an abolitionist. Hmm. 
And the reason why I, I question it is because particularly where people are, so you, you are, how do you ethically tell a story of someone being raped? Hmm. Any way you slice it, that person is going to be hurt because you're going to have to revisit their trauma. There is no way around it. Hmm. Are there ways that will lessen it? Yes, but there is not a way around it. There is not a way around someone retelling the story of their rape and them not being injured by it. Mm-hmm. Even in uh, even in some, you know, if you want to think about it in a uh, the smallest way, there's not any way around that. So for me, I just wonder if we can do things like in a different kind of way. Not, I mean, you know. So that's that's just a question. You know, I don't think that people are going to stop storytelling anytime soon. So I think if doing it like the best way possible with the least amount of trauma, I think is, you know, obviously the most compassionate way. But I literally do not think there's a way to, of like, particularly when we're talking about um, trafficking. Um, I don't think there's a way to do it like without injuring the person Mm. in some way. Yeah. I really don't. I know like when I have um, told my story, even under the, you know, the most compassionate circumstances, I'm always suffer something Mm. and I'm 55. Yeah. And so I think part of part of it with with ethical storytelling is that if you're going to to delve into storytelling, you have to there should be some some checks in there. There should also be some follow up care for the person. Absolutely. You know, and so that's that's like a part of it. But let's not kid ourselves. Every time a survivor tells their story, they are going to suffer some kind of harm. So ethical storytelling or not, that's that's just that's the real of it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go in it with that knowledge and knowing that. That's how you have to go into it. That that's just that's just the real deal of it. And it brings up that question of why, um, why is that person sharing their story? Uh, and I think, you know, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this question, but, mm-hmm. um, that question of why brings about intent. It brings about like almost an agenda sort of feeling to it, which mm-hmm. I think is in these conversations, one of the core aspects of what I'm hoping we can help people kind of learn how to recognize as a gut check um, is what is the agenda when we, when we talk about story and especially not only in the creation of story, but when we are asking others to specifically share their stories, right? 
um, mm-hmm. what what's the why behind that? And so I think in in terms of that, um, well, could just can you speak to that a little bit? Have there have there been instances? And I know there have been, but um, can you speak to to that agenda and what you've um, observed as people share their stories and and how the agenda that is behind them impacts the way the story is told or how the story is received. Does that make sense? Um, I think so. I mean, people will ask you to bear everything in their, in your, your story. And so, you know, whatever their agenda is be, be behind that, I guess it, you know, it varies. Um, but, I mean, it's, I've had people ask me to tell details of my story and I just tell them no. Yeah. Um, because I don't, I, I literally like, I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand what it is that will make a human spirit ask another spirit that's been crushed. I want to hear the details of your rape. Mm. And cause that's basically what it, it comes down to. Yeah. And you know, we don't really go around in, in this society, at least, asking people to detail the, you know, detail to us their all the details of their um, of their divorce or of their, you know, whatever it, it may be. But there's something with trafficking where we feel like it's okay to ask people about the details of of their rape. And particularly in terms of of brown and black bodies, which are raped with impunity within the, you know, um, system of trafficking here in the United States, at least, which is the majority. And we know that brown and black bodies are not regarded very highly. And we also know that a lot of the storytellers are not brown and black bodies. A lot of the storytellers are, are people trying to get the information are are white. And so when you're talking about, you know, trafficking, there's a lot of different intersections there. There's, you know, misogyny, there's racism, there's all these kind of things that pour into it. And so there's all these like nebulous things that we don't even deal with in this country that probably go into it when you're asking somebody to detail their rape because we are not regarded. So what do you care if you ask a brown and black young girl about her rape Hmm. when intrinsically you do not value her? What makes it easier, do you think, for people to ask those questions? It makes it easier when you do not value like a human soul. Hmm. It makes it easier for you to ask um, questions that dehumanize them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know, it's it's a bigger question, you know, than beyond ethical storytelling. There needs to be healing, at least here, in terms of, you know, misogyny, in terms of racism, in terms of sexism, like just all those things that are intersecting, like in the belly of the beast. Mm. And, um, you know, becoming trauma informed, but you know, and that's great, but you could be trauma informed and still be racist and still not have any, um, 
still not have any regard for the bodies that you're talking to. Right. And you have this like savior complex that in of itself is problematic because no one can save me. You know, you can't really rescue me and you can't, you know, you, because it then takes your power away and it makes that person powerful. It takes your power away. And then it just begins to feed back into the cycle. So the whole thing for me is just problematic. Mm. And I don't know where, where, I don't know where it's not problematic, Rachel. Well, so one of the things I'm thinking of that has been something that, um, in con- and I, I would take ceremony, for example, and, and call that yeah. story, right? And so... Uh-huh. How how have you seen the potential of story being used as a place of healing or a place of um, grief or but in done in those safe places and maybe done in different forms than like a traditional film or blog or book, um, but done in really kind of out of the box, creative, um, spirit led ways that... Yeah can provide that that space for healing and sisterhood and safety um have you seen well i know you have but can you talk a little bit about well yeah have you but seen see, that? The, the thing ceremony wasn't is not even out of the box ceremony is just born out of the spirit of a black soul so mm-hmm. it's not really out of the box for us like doing that ritual for the one that you came to that that like that was very normal for us Mm. and um also it wasn't prompted by anybody except for ourselves except for us it was just prompted by us it wasn't there was not someone asking us to tell our stories it was us taking a hold of our power and delving into our stories ourselves so that we can be healed and go to to travel together on a on a healing journey Mm -hmm. and to to lift our voices and i think that that's part of the problem so you know we're wanting people to be healed but we're not it's almost like we're, we're like okay i give you permission to heal you can't give somebody permission to heal that person has to be like i'm going to heal Mm. You know, because you then are taking the taking the power and saying, "Okay, I'm trying to help you, but I have taken your power away, but I'm going to hand you back a little (laughs) bit of it and I'm going to try to help you instead of it being organically from that person. Because I when I began to heal. Nobody, nobody asked me to tell my story. I began to write out my story myself. I began prompted by the spirit. I began to write it myself prompted by the spirit through um, poetry and I was writing songs and all type of things. And it felt very empowering for me that I began that process, me and the spirit for no other reason other than to heal. There was nothing behind it. It was just 100% tell your story, Reg, to yourself, to the divine, so that you can heal. 
and there was a, a real beauty in that. Hmm. And so I think that there is space for that. And then I think from that, whilst just speak for myself, from that, I was then able to begin to write stories mixed in with my story and then offer them to the community in hopes that it might tweak somebody, you know, or people would hear about like wanting to um, raise awareness, you know, for them to join in, in into the fight. But I started it. I started it with the the spirit. And so it began to be this this process. And so I think maybe part of it is that I'm feeling is that there's that we're skipping the process. We're not just letting survivors sit with themselves and grasp a hold of that knowledge for themselves, for themselves and say, I'm, I want to heal, but I'm starting this. Mm -hmm. You know, we have so much taken away from us when we're trafficked. It's a beautiful thing to be able to say, I'm taking a hold of my story. And for it to be prompted by that spirit that was broken. Because nobody can take that from you when it's prompted by you. Yeah. So it's very, very empowering. And, and, let, and let that person journey, you know, just let them journey. But we insert ourselves into, into their story. Why do you Just think like, we do that? I think we do that because we, for for various reasons, I think people do it because they want to help. I think other people do it because they have like, a, I'm not going to cuss, but you know, I was just say they have a misguided guided savior complex. Um, I think some people do it because they're hurting themselves and they're hurting and instead of them healing, they're looking to heal somebody else. I think there's a lot of reasons. I think there's a lot of kindness in this world. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, there's some that comes from that and just, just wanting to help. But you learn how to help a broken soul by listening to the broken soul yeah. and what they need. And that's what we don't do a lot of. We devise ways without their voice. Mm-hmm. We don't listen to the survivor voice very much in, in this fight. Yeah. And um, we come up with our own ways and then say, okay, here, I'm offering it to you so that you can heal out of my kindness, which I'm sure, you know, that's, it is out of a place of kindness, but sometimes it could be misguided. So I think that's probably why, but we just don't listen to the survivor voice on, on what the survivor needs a lot. That's, it's problematic. Yep. So how, how do you view your role as a healer, as a listener, um, in the lives of the young people, um, 
that come through your store or um, are connected to you in different ways? How do you how do you view your role in their lives and their in their journey? Um, uh, I think it's varied and it depends on it really it really does depend. I listen. Um, I try to provide for them. Um, you know, they'll come and ask me, you know, if they need some help, but I'm, I'm actually morphing into this cause I'm very fluffy, like, you know, fluffy, I love you. Okay. What do you need? Blah, 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 blah. You know? And so I'm very strong on that part. I'm not very strong on, okay. So now we have to put some rules in place cause you have to grow up. So what do you need from me to to help you devise some rules for yourself? You know, I'm not that good at that. I'm learning how to do that. I've done that with, I've done it with success with one person. <laughs> and um, I'm sure others, but I know specifically one time we, I just sat down with her and I was like, okay, you know, uh, what do you need? And we came up with some, structured rules for her and that were comfortable for her. So I think basically, I mean, my, I, I sit in this community as a lot of different things. I can't really put my finger on one thing. So giver, lover, you know, I annoy people, you know, cause like mother figures do annoy people. So I know I annoy the hell out of my community sometimes. Um, um, but I'm, I'm probably the best thing that I could probably say is that I'm a protector. I'm, I will protect them. I will, I will go to bat for them, mm-hmm. like tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's probably like my biggest thing is that I'm a protector of of their their beings. If they need, you know, they know to come to me. They definitely know that. Then I'm here. One of the things that you've said that I really love is that story should start with listening. Um, What does listening mean to you? Um, Well, for me personally, it means just that, like being still, being still, taking in what the person is trying to say also like if they're telling a traumatic story also recognizing that there are underneath screams of pain that what they're saying to you on the surface that that's just the surface and so realizing that recognizing that there are depths to this thing also not pushing people um Letting them know that, letting them know that it's okay, you know. And sometimes it just means sitting in silence with them, with nobody saying anything. Sometimes it just means a hug. Sometimes it means, hey, do you want to go and go get some ice cream and take a walk? Sometimes it means going to the um, the symphony and watching their tears stream down their faces because they've never been to the symphony before. All of those things go into listening. Mm. 
because listening is just not just words. It's understanding that person's spirit is understanding how their heart beats. And it's also letting them see that you also have vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think that's a lot of things, but definitely those things. So in the last, uh, year or so, um, I've started to learn more about some of the, uh, kind of storytelling workshops, um, I think is how you would put it that are being put together for survivors. Um, and Mm -hmm. can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, what those are, why you think, um, that they're important and how you potentially have seen the narrative, if at all shift, um, since those have been introduced? Well, I'm not really sure, but I know what they, they did for me is just to give me more awareness on what kind of, what the options that I had on, in terms of, like, for example, I didn't know that if there was something that was written in a story and that I didn't agree with it, I could have the option to call the reporter and they could have the option to either remove it or not because a lot of the stuff is online. So just things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much has changed their their perception. I know in the past, I guess it was last year, they um, stopped saying child prostitute. Right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure. I know that I have had, I had, I met a really amazing reporter and she spent, I think probably a whole week with me. And she actually started reporting when she was 19. And she started reporting, um, covering stories of people that had died. So she was very like trauma informed trained. She was very gentle. And I actually ended up telling her most of my story, but she had created, um, she had created a relationship and we also are still in contact with each other. And I just, I, I really, I don't know how to answer that question because I don't, I don't know. I try to go off of personal things. I do not really do like a lot of interviews, <laughs> like, you know, so that might be the answer to your question. So <laughs> no, like, I have had people, oh, I'm going to tell you this one story. This is so crazy. I'm going to tell you exactly this is what people do. I had a young woman <clears throat> call me from UC Berkeley, right? Journalism program. She's like, oh, I'm from UC Berkeley journalism program, blah, 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 right? And she was like, I'm going to do the story. My deadline is this. And I was like, okay. So she calls me on the day. She's asking me questions. I'm answering her questions. One of her questions is this. What is your normal day like? Now, anybody who has been to my store knows they know I do not have normal days. And so I told her, I said, I do not have normal days in my store. And 
she was like, well, this story is not going to work. So I'm just going to cut this interview off right now. I was like, oh, my God. Or you could have said, well, because to me, in my thinking, that would have been a, I would have asked 50 million questions if somebody yeah. told me something like that, right? But yeah, it did, because I didn't fit into her storyline. And so that's the danger. You don't fit into someone's storyline. And then, so then what happened? So she just cut the whole story. And I was like, Shh. I was like, I'm cool because I have hella stuff to do anyway. And so, but yeah, it was really interesting. She got the interview because of that. Wow. So, so I think it, I think it just really varies, you know, you just don't know. Cause like, you just, you just don't know. I've, you don't know. Hmm. What and was then it? I've, had other, I've had other student journal, uh, journalism students who were like amazing. Hmm. I had a young woman, a Benny Clayton. She was like, awesome. Hmm. Yep. She was like on point. She was like, you know, um, compassionate, um, professional. Yeah, I don't know. I wish there was some magic bullet, but there's not. Or magic, not magic bullet. <laughs> Oops, what do you say? Magic potion. <laughs> magic potion. I actually think, like, as I'm listening to myself talk, I... I think one of the key things is to wait for survivors to speak. And that's probably a key to ethical storytelling. Yeah. Just wait till they speak. Yeah. I love and, that. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, go from there because literally like all of my plays, like everything that I do, Rachel, it came out of like my just deciding to to speak and to write poetry, just me and the divine. Mm. And you've seen my stuff. It's beautiful and it's powerful and it's compassionate. Mm -hmm. But it was born out of that place in me where I was able to be like, oh my God, I have this in me. And now it's coming out. And it's cool. Yeah. And then the next step, now I can, you know, I can raise awareness like, you know, I can do this. Oh my gosh, I can do this over here. Mm -hmm. I can start a store even though I don't have any money. I know it's gonna work anyway. There's like all kinds of stuff that are born out of the notion of being able to ignite yourself. Mm. Yep. So I, I think probably that if I was to say anything to people, I would say, <laughs> I would say that. Yeah. And then join in their flow, not the other way around. Yep. I love that. I absolutely yep. love that. That's what I would say. So, Because the thing is, we all need each other. We do not exist in a vacuum. Hmm. And so, you know, there is a need for a community as we heal. Um, so that part is important. Mm-hmm. So I'm wrestling a little bit with, um, uh, bear with me while I process this through and I think you'll, you'll hear what I'm, I'm asking and getting at with it. Okay. Um, but so when we started this conversation, I, I liked what you had to say about like, well, why, why aren't we looking at new ways of, of doing things? Why is it that we're so mm -hmm. stuck on storytelling? Right. And mm -hmm. I think for me, storytelling, 
um, is very multifaceted. There's a lot of different like whys behind it. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's in this process been fun to explore all of those different whys, whether it's like, um, you know, creating something, um, like ceremony or creating a film that's, that shows resilience or, um, helping journalists kind of understand, uh, on a deeper level, what like listening means, or like, you know, you can go down so many different, um, rabbit trails when just in that one word story. And Mm -hmm. I think that one of the powers that I see in story is that there is that social change typically comes, um, from narrative and that narrative can be something that shifts culture or shifts, um, justice issues, or it's oftentimes in story or through the creation of empathy, um, that things begin to change, right? For me, at least. And so I, I'm curious now, kind of going back to that first um, comment about story, how do you, how do you envision um, social change or that creation of empathy occurring if story was removed from the picture, you know? Well, I think that's where new things come in. Hmm. Um, I think if the survivor is telling the story, if the impetus is coming from the survivor, I think without any agenda anywhere, then I think that there's like, uh, that there is power in that. Mm -hmm. But I also still have the question, aren't there other ways to bring about social change other than you know, storytelling, whether it's ethical or not, because the survivor is hurt. So my question is, is just that. Hmm. That's, that's my question. Can we come up with some other type of things? Yeah. Because the survivor is, will be hurt. So that's, that's what I'm, that's what my question is. And so I know that there are ways of lessening it. Like even when, when I do when I do ceremony, or for example, when I do my, my play, because my play has bits of my story in it, I'm, I, I have to rest. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it. Oh. You know, and, but the power for me is that I wrote it. And so that's very healing for me. And so I'm just wondering if there are some other type of ways to raise awareness other than like storytelling, Mm. you know, like for example, people come into my store, you come into my store, you leave my store, you don't know something about something. (laughs) (laughs) It's as simple as that. And you know, you're going to know something about trafficking. You're going to know something about me. You, you might know something a little bit more about yourself. Um, you're going to know something. Mm-hmm. And just by virtue of just being here and seeing what's on the walls. Um, so like those, those kind of things, mm-hmm. you know, I think with, I think with, um, with storytelling, 
you can do a broad sweep. But, but for example, what I do here is like one-on-one, right? I do a lot of one-on-one. Yeah. And we don't see the value in doing one-on-one. I see the value in doing one-on-one. And because you could feed into people, that person can feed into you like in an, in an intense way. Mm-hmm. And you then begin to spiderweb that intensity out. As you buoy up and strengthen one person, that person can buoy up and strengthen another person and just keeps going on and on. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just wondering if there's other ways, mm. you know, are there other ways of, or additional ways or other ways? And why haven't we delved into those other ways? That's one, that's my question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those will those will be like my two takeaways. What are some what are some other ways to bring about um, social change mm-hmm. and allow the survivor to be the impetus to his or her own story and just listen and kind of be like a, a um, you know a a, a friend of support. Yeah. And I've seen it happen in my own life. And, you know, I might be a little bit kooky, a little bit wacky, but you know, I'm, I'm loving Mm -hmm. and people are affected by what I do. And so, and, and, and what I've created with my hands, but it's because I've, I took the impetus to do it along with the spirit. So those will be like my two things to allow that survivor to begin that. And then what are looking at some other ways of that will provide social change. There's gotta be some, something else, Rachel. Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there is a lot of ways. I mean, even, you know, a, a painter, like, I think artists in general tend to be, I believe, the people that most powerfully bring about social change um, because there are so many creative ways in which to express oneself, um, whether that's pain or joy or suffering or loneliness. And um, I think when I use the term storytelling, I think it goes beyond words, too, um, for me. And so I think paintings will tell stories or um, storefronts will tell stories. Um, And Uh so I I wonder, too, in this as as, as we're, you know, thinking about how what the future of um, what drives social change can look like, especially in the way that ways that nonprofits embrace it, because right now nonprofits embrace primarily written word as story and Uh what are other aspects of creativity um, that nonprofits can be leaning into that, that continue to push um, for a world that is more free and more just, but without having to um, tell narratives where narratives should not be told or narratives should be private um, or narratives need that space or narratives need listening or um, rather than using the, the written word or the spoken word, um, what are other creative outlets in which to drive that change? So 
but even if even if a survivor is painting something that might be painful yeah absolutely do you know so yep it, it might be painful that's that's the thing that i can't wrap my 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 head around mm. it's like telling that story is going to be painful and then you have whatever thing that you have behind it pushing you whatever it might be to tell that story to me that adds another layer of of pain Mm. and so that's however you're going to slice it that's what you're going to get and that's just the truth of the matter Mm. and so that's why i say like just listening yeah is like for me the the big takeaway is to listen listen and be really just like a part of their river Mm. and I think that that's probably the best way that's that's what I would say yep I love it yeah yeah thank you friend I like processing this stuff with you too it's fun yeah because I'm processing it as I like so I'm like going back to my own thing and how I did my my stuff and I remember like writing and I would read and I'd be like oh my god that's so good that's hella good you know and I'm like cleansing and feeling like really powerful and I have this night right I had this Friday night Friday night was like my writing night and I had a bottle of wine and the computer and had music on and I would like write until like two o'clock in the morning and I would be so happy, Hmm. you know, and I would write throughout the week too, but Friday night was my night and I would just be so happy, you know, to get to that, that, that night and to, to write. Yeah. And I felt very free Hmm. and there was nothing there. It was just writing. I had, um, you know who Justin Dillon is? Yeah. Okay. So when I started to write, um, 52 letters, cause I had actually stopped writing and I had this whole thing with the white house calling me, but that's like a whole nother story, but that's basically why I started writing again. So anyway, I was like, I'm, I knew that Justin Dillon had done some creative stuff. And so I went to talk to him and he said some things to me that always stuck to me. He asked me, cause I said to him, I said, I want to write a play. And, and he says, what do you want to write about? And I was like, I'm my, my story. You know, and this was after going through like years and years of, of healing. And he said to me, he said this, I want you to write it and sit with it. Don't send it to anybody. Just write it. Because he said a true creative can sit with their creation without any any notion of sending it out, anybody seeing it, any, just nothing, just you and it. And he said, just sit with it and write it and sit with it. And it will let you know when it's ready. And that's what I did. And he was right. And it was so powerful for me. I, I wrote it just to write it for myself. 
And when I was ready to release it, I released it. Yeah. How did you know when it was time, when it was ready to release it? Because it told me. (laughs) (laughs) You know how I roll, Rachel. (laughs) I know, but I wanted to ask anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It was time. And I literally, I knew, and I, um, and I wanted to be incubated at, um, with just like all women in theater, all women, literally that's what happened. Just, it kept, I got into an all women's group. I got into like these festivals and then I got into the, which led me to the, um, the Fringe Festival, and then I won the Fringe Festival. But it was it was a clear path. It was everything that I desired, mm. that that I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And but it was like all based on what he said. And that's the it's the same thing. Like what I feel is just like, you know, I just want to release this. I just want to write it. I don't want to have anything around me. I just and it needs to be nothing. I just want it to be pure. Hmm. because I want to feel free. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel anything touching it. I just want to feel free. Uh, well, any other thoughts that you want to share with us before we sign off? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's pertinent, but I know a lot of times the answers to some of these things is to go back and look at what our ancestors did, hmm. search in their gardens. Hmm. 